In the late 1700s in England, there was a young man who was a newly ordained Baptist minister. He was a shoe cobbler by trade, but he became a, uh, he went into the ministry and he was ordained as a minister as a very, very young man. And his name was William Carey. He was very young. He was very passionate. And uh, one day at a meeting of Baptist church leaders from all over England, he stood up to offer a presentation. And in his presentation, he made the case for why churches in England should be sending missionaries to the parts of the world where there was poverty and where there were people who had never heard the name of Jesus. And so William Carey was passionate about this. Jesus said, go into all the nations, preach the gospel, baptize in my name. And William Carey said, we've got to send missionaries to all the world. And so he's giving this presentation. And midway through his presentation, he was abruptly interrupted by by an older minister who said, young man, sit down. You are just an enthusiast. If God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do so without consulting you or me. And William Carey just could not believe that there was this attitude among ministers. And so William Carey said, hey, look, if none of these ministers are going to go and take the gospel to the ends of the earth like Jesus commanded, then I'll do it myself. And so this young Baptist minister leaves behind his life in England He moves to Calcutta, where he was for a short season, but spent the rest of his life in India as a missionary. And in his time in India, he founded multiple schools for children, but he also founded a university that remains to this day. He worked to feed and clothe impoverished children. He taught reading, writing, accounting, business skills. He was an activist. He led the fight to abolish an unjust practice in the culture at that time, which involved widow sacrifices. Um, He translated the Bible into multiple languages, uh, uh, in six different languages, including Bengali, Hindi, and Sanskrit. And he saw many, many, many people come to faith in Jesus as he started churches and trained pastors. And William Carey is known today as the father of modern missions. Uh, And he would go on later to famously say, this is kind of a famous quote, a lot of people have this printed on plaques and hanging on their walls, but he said, attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. You know, there was that older minister who said to William Carey's son, God is sovereign. God is in control. God has a plan. God does what he pleases. And if he wants people in India to hear about the gospel, he'll tell them himself. Well, it turns out that God's sovereign plan and his plan to tell people in India about the gospel was for William Carey to be the one to pick up and go to India to proclaim the good news. And God used William Carey's obedience to bring about his purposes all over the world. And so as we begin, I want you to write this down if you're a note taker. God carries out his purposes through the obedience of his people. This is how God primarily works in this world, is through the obedience of his people. We don't guide his hand, we don't manipulate his hand, but rather we position ourselves by obedience to his word into positions where his hand can guide us to bring about his purposes in the world. And this is not just me talking, Jesus said this. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all the other things will be added unto you. And the principle is this, is that as we seek God and as we are obedient to what God has commanded, 
God tends to unfold his plans in our lives through us. So I've heard some people say when they hear about the sovereignty of God, this theological truth, this beautiful theological truth that God is sovereign over all things. He has a plan and he, nothing can thwart his plan. They say, well, if God is sovereign, why do we pray? Or if God is sovereign, um, wh- why should I ever share my faith with anyone if he's going to save them anyway? I'll just say this. I don't understand all the mysteries of God and the paradoxes and the mysteries of his sovereignty and human responsibility, but I will say this. I have found in my own life, and and you've found in your life, I'm sure, that the more I pray, the more God tends to answer prayers. And the more I speak about Jesus, the more people tend to hear about Jesus. God uses, he is sovereign, yes, and he has a plan, but he uses the actions of his people to bring about his plans in this world. God carries out his purposes through the obedience of his people. We should expect great things from God, yes, but because of that, we attempt great things for him as well. And there's no better example of this than Ruth. We've been studying the book of Ruth for the last few weeks. She is a woman who seeks God, takes steps of action and faith, and then finds herself directly within the sovereign plan, God's sovereign plan for the world. And this is, this is how Ruth's life sort of works. Is she's obedient to what God has put in front of her, and then God uses her life to do incredible things. And we're studying Ruth chapter 3 today, and this is a passage that shows Ruth putting her faith into action, and as a result, it teaches us some good lessons, some principles about how we are to seek God's will in our lives and how we are to position ourselves to be under the hand of God as he guides our lives according to his purposes. So Ruth chapter three, it says, I'm gonna read the whole chapter all at once instead of working my way through it. So eyes up, focus, all right? It says, then Naomi, her mother-in-law said to Ruth, my daughter, should I not seek rest, security, peace for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And Ruth replied to Naomi, all that you say, I will do. And so she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and he turned over and said, behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, for you have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I remain tonight. And in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, we'll let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So if you want to seek God's will for your life, if you want to place yourself in the path of the invisible hand of God, you need three things. Wisdom, 
you must know God's word. Integrity, you must obey God's word. And faith, you must trust God's plan. The first thing you need if you want to position yourself under the hand of God is you need wisdom. You need to know God's word. So if you remember the end of last chapter, chapter Ruth chapter, chapter 2, we, found, we saw the scene where Ruth meets Boaz. And just to kind of catch you up to speed a little bit, Ruth is an impoverished, foreign, Moabite woman, and she's a widow. Um, but she's an incredibly strong woman. And she's a hard worker in the fields. And she's very gracious toward her mother-in-law, Naomi. And Boaz is a wealthy and a worthy man, the scriptures say. And he notices Ruth. He kind of sees what she's doing. He notices that she's a hard worker. He notices that she's very kind and generous and gracious to her mother-in-law. And he, he, he sees something in her. And so he protects her. He allows her to work in his fields. And there are some, as you read chapter 2, you may have picked up on it last week, there are some subtle hints in the text that he has an interest for her, but there's nothing explicit just yet. The, the book of Ruth is big on subtlety and tension, but there, there's a sense that he's interested in her, but we don't quite know that just yet. And at the end of Ruth chapter two, Ruth comes home and she tells Naomi all about Boaz. She says, you're not gonna believe this. I met this guy, Boaz. He's letting me glean in his fields. He provided me with all this barley. Um, this is a great situation. And Naomi says, you met Boaz? He's a close relative of my late husband. He is one of our redeemers. Now, I'm going to touch on that a bit, a little bit later. But you have to remember this as we, as we, as we read this story. Remember, the key thing you remember is that Ruth is poor. She's a foreigner and she's a widow. And in this ancient Near Eastern patriarchal culture, that meant that she had nothing. She had no money, no power, no influence, no stability, none of that. Marriage would provide stability and protection in her life, and that's what she needs. Uh, or, or Naomi sees this, and she sees this as an opportunity. Naomi says, we got to get you married, girl. Like, we got to do this. And so Naomi sees this opportunity. You met Boaz? Let's make something happen. So she plays matchmaker, matchmaker, and so she devises a plan. And Boaz, she says, look, Ruth, this, uh, Boaz is going to be winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. How romantic, Right? He's working the night shift, and we know where he is. We know where he's going to sleep tonight. So, Ruth, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a shower. I want you to put on some perfume. I want to put on your nice pajamas, right? And I want you to go where Boaz is tonight. And wait till he falls asleep, and then I want you to quietly tiptoe into the room. I want you to uncover his feet and lie down next to him. And Ruth says to Naomi, as you wish, which if you've seen Princess Bride, you know what that means. It means I love you. Uh, this is like the Hebrew version of saying, oh, got it. Uh, she said, as sure as you speak these things, Naomi, I'll do that. That's her way of saying, I will do what you say because I love you and I trust you. Now, I know there's a lot of questions as we hear this, okay? It's a little weird, because it doesn't register with our kind of understanding of culture and dating and marriage and what happens in threshing floors while you're winnowing barley, all of that stuff, right? It's filled with innuendo, and it feels like the narrator's trying to build some tension. But if you are only thinking of this as a 21st century kind of with your modern mind and our understanding of dating and marriage and culture, um, this kind of seems like Naomi is advising Ruth to do something a little shady, like a little clandestine. But I want you to see that it's not. Naomi, Naomi actually knows God's word. 
And she's telling Ruth to act in accordance with the scripture. She knows the law of God. And here's what I mean by that. Deuteronomy chapter 25 talks about what is called, and I don't know how to pronounce this, even though I went to seminary, I'm just going to go for it and I'm going to say it with confidence and you're going to trust that it's right, but a Levi-rite marriage, okay, which says that when a woman is widowed, a relative of her husband can take her as his wife in order to honor his relative and carry on his family name. And this type of marriage is not secured through a marriage ceremony. It's secured through consummation. There's no need for a big celebration. There's no need for a ceremony. It's simply the man and the woman, they consummate the marriage and the marriage happens right then and there. And when you understand this, you realize that the story makes a little bit more sense. Naomi's not asking Ruth to sin. Naomi's not asking Ruth to put herself in some shameful situation. She's asking Ruth to take a step of faith, put herself in a position, and if Boaz is willing to marry her, it'll happen. Now, we don't live in ancient Near Eastern Hebrew culture, so we're not guided by the, this Deuteronomic, Deuteronomic law, the Mosaic law, right? So I am not recommending this move to any of, anybody here, okay? If you're trying to get married, this is not the move. This will get you um, a counseling meeting with Pastor Will, uh, some, you know, some hard conversations, right? The point is this, Naomi knew God's word. And she devised a strategy to pursue safety and stability for Ruth in a way that honored God's law. She was wise and she says, Ruth, if you want to marry this man, put yourself in a position he might ask you. And if you're wondering, if you're here today and you're wondering what God's plan for your life is, and if you're wondering how God wants to use you and how God wants to bless you or how God wants to answer your prayers or how God might provide for you, your first step is to simply know what the scriptures say. And live according to what Jesus teaches. What do the scriptures teach about the things that you're desiring? What does the scriptures teach about things like money and wisdom and marriage and relationships and reputation and worship and forgiving others and loving others and honoring God? And if you want to grow and see God's provision in these areas and position yourself for God to bless you, you need to know what his word teaches and act accordingly. People say, I want God to bless my finances, but they're not obeying what they know to be true about the scriptures regarding our finances. People say, I want God to, to bless me with a godly husband, but they're not living according to what God has uh, said in his, in his word about dating and relationships. And so we, we can't have it both ways. We can't say, God, bless my life and give me all the things I want if, we're not, if we don't know what the scriptures teach and we're not living accordingly to those things. But you must not merely know, you must live with integrity as well. You must obey what you know. So it's one thing to study the scriptures. It's another thing to obey them. James, in the, in the book of James, James says, do not just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. So we need integrity. We don't just need wisdom to know God's word, but we need integrity to obey God's word. And this is exactly what Ruth did. And this is, she said to Naomi, she said, all that you've said, I'll do it. And she does, and she goes where Boaz is. She goes to the threshing floor. He's fast asleep after a hard day's work. He's had a good meal. He's had a couple of drinks. He goes to bed, and Ruth comes in quietly into the room. She uncovers his feet, and she lies down at the foot of the bed. And then around midnight, Boaz catches a cold draft. His feet get a little cold. He wakes up, and it says, at midnight, the man was startled, and he turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Anyone here who has kids, you know exactly what it's like 
to wake up in the middle of the night with another human at the foot of your bed staring deep into your soul. It is jarring. It, can, it will wake you up quicker than anything. I'm thirsty. You know, I need whatever it is, but it is, a, it is a strange thing to wake up in the middle of the night and see eyeballs staring back at you. But I imagine for Boaz, this was a much greater surprise than a five-year-old asking for a cup of water. He wakes up to a beautiful woman lying in his bed. And he goes, uh, who are you? And how Ruth responds is a bold, faith-filled, risk-taking move. She says, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, Ruth, what Ruth does in this situation is not what Naomi asked her to do. Ruth takes, she levels up. Naomi told Ruth to lie down next to Boaz, and if Boaz wants to marry you, he'll, he'll get what you're doing, and he will be the one to make the move. But Ruth, he says, who are you? And Ruth doesn't wait for him to make a move. She makes the move. She says, she takes the initiative and she says, spread your wings over me, which is another way of saying, marry me. And she says, for you are my redeemer. Now, Naomi did not ask her to say this. Um, But in the end of chapter two, you remember Naomi said, Boaz is one of my close relatives. He is one of our redeemers. And Ruth remembered this, and Ruth knew the scriptures as well. Remember, Ruth was a Moabite, but now she was a follower of the God of Israel. And so, as such, she probably studied the scriptures. She knew the scriptures, and she knew that there was the Leverite marriage, but she also knew there was another type of marriage for widows, and it was something called using the kinsman redeemer, which is another type of marriage for widows under the Mosaic law. And it's when a relative of a widow not only marries and provides protection and stability for his relative's wife, but he totally redeems all that was lost in his death. So in chapter one, we saw that Naomi was married to a man named Elimelech, and they had two sons, Chalion and Milion, which sound like Star Trek names, you know what I mean? Like Klingon or something. But they had two sons, and they married Moabite women, one of which was Ruth. But then Elimelech died, And then the two sons died, and these three women were left all alone. They had no land, no chance to produce an heir. There were no children in the mix. There was none of these things. But a kinsman redeemer at this point could step in and say, I will marry you and I will redeem you. A kinsman redeemer can say, Ruth, I will marry you and I will buy back the land of your husband, your husband's land. And if we have children, our children will carry on the family name for your late husband and for me. See, Ruth wasn't just asking for marriage. She was asking for a total redemption of all the tragedy that has gone before in this story. This would include not just herself being provided for, but Boaz essentially choosing to act as Naomi's son and provide for her and care for her as a son would a mother. And what I love about this story is these are two strong, shrewd, smart women. Naomi cares for Ruth, and Naomi says, Ruth, go out and ask Boaz if he'll marry you. And she doesn't say anything about being a redeemer. She's like, you don't have to bring me into it. You don't have to do anything. I just want you to be provided for. Ruth is like, you got it, Naomi, as you wish. And then she goes there, and she takes it a step further, and she's like, I want you to marry me, and I want my mother-in-law to live with us, and I want you to provide for her. 
See, these women are looking out for each other in a very difficult time. These are heroes of the faith right here. But Ruth acts with a bold integrity. She knows God's word. She obeys God's word. <clears throat> and she risks her life in such a way that is full of faith. Like William Carey, she attempts great things for God. And Boaz says, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. For you have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Boaz essentially says, Ruth, I would love to marry you. And then he explains why he is attracted to her. And I love it. He First he says, I just can't believe you're attracted to me. He's like, you could have gone after somebody else, somebody way younger, but you've gone after him. You've chosen me. I mean, if you're in a marriage where you just love your spouse, isn't this how you feel? Like, I just, how I feel about Rebecca, I'm like, how in the world did I end up with this woman? I feel that way sometimes as a pastor of this church. I'm like, how in the world did these people allow me the honor to be their pastor? This is how Boaz feels about Ruth. He's like, how in the world am I in this situation right now? Like that this woman would be right here willing to marry me. But then he says, I'm, I can't believe that you've chosen me. But then he says, the kindness that, kindness that you've shown me and being willing to marry me is even greater than all the other kindness I've seen from you. And what's he referring to? He's referring to the way that she has treated her mother-in-law. He mentions that her reputation in Bethlehem is beginning to grow as a woman who under no obligation is caring for her mother-in-law. And she's gained a reputation as a worthy woman. And he says, what you've done for her is incredible. What you've done for me is incredible. I am attracted to your integrity. I'm sure there was physical attraction, but Boaz says, your integrity, your hard work, your faith, your kindness, your generosity, that attracts me to you. And there's a lesson to be learned here. <clears throat> it's that Ruth, it's not just little moments of integrity that God is blessing. God is blessing a lifetime of integrity with Ruth. And, I'll just, and God blesses that. And I just am here to tell you, if you want to situate yourself in such a way and position yourself in such a way that God can use you and bless you in powerful ways, integrity is the path. That's the path. When you obey God's word, when you honor him, he will use your integrity for his sovereign purposes, which is exactly what he did with Ruth. How do we position ourselves under the hand of God. Wisdom, we got to know God's word. Integrity, we need to obey God's word. But also we need faith. Because it's faith, trust in God that he will do something great with our offerings, with our lives. This whole chapter is full of faith. You've got Naomi's faith in sending Ruth to Boaz in kind of this situation. You've got Ruth's faith in going about it and then going beyond what Naomi suggested. But here's the thing about faith. It requires trust. It requires trust in God's plan and in his purposes. So Naomi and Ruth, they're risking it all right here. And here's the reality. When you know God's word and you obey God's word and you put yourself out there, things, it's possible that things won't go according to your plan. God's plan may be different than your plan. Boaz could have said no. He was under no obligation to say yes. And if he had said no, it would have been crushing to these women. It would have been awkward, probably a bit humiliating for Ruth. But these women, they knew God's word. They knew there was a legal path for marriage with Boaz that would, that would maintain Ruth's dignity. They obeyed God's word. They put Ruth in a position to be married. 
But now, they're in a situation now where they must trust God no matter the outcome. This is the essence of faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. Many of you might say, I would do everything God asked me to do if he could just promise me that in the end I would get everything that I'm asking for. Uh, That's not obedience to God. That's manipulating God, doing what, that's, that's, that's a transaction. We obey God because God has commanded. And we trust that God is good and that he will use our obedience to bring about his purposes. And we trust and we hope that his purposes are for our good, even if they don't line up with our 10-year plan. That's the essence of faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. We We don't walk by faith because we know there's guarantees. We obey God's commands because this is the way God has spoken and he's commanded us to live. And this is exactly what Ruth and Naomi have done. They've done their part. And now they entrust their lives to God's plan. And then Boaz responds. He says, I I want to marry you, Ruth. We could do that tonight. But I really do want to be your kinsman redeemer. But that requires a ceremony, which means that tonight can't happen. And it also requires that we obey the family order. And there is, I know of another relative to Naomi who's actually closer to you than me And for us to do this according to God's law, we must give him the opportunity to redeem you and marry you first because it has to go through the line. If he's willing, he'll redeem you. If not, you better believe, he says, I'll redeem you. And he says, now, lie down over there until the morning. Now, without being crude or anything, I want you to imagine for a moment the temptation that Boaz is dealing with in this moment. He clearly wants to be with Ruth. Ruth clearly wants to be with him. He wants to marry her, and he wants to give her everything. She's in his bed. She's ready. She's willing. They can get married and consummate that thing that night, right then and there. No shame, no sin. It would be right and good. That is the temptation that they're dealing with in that moment. But Boaz is a worthy man. And Ruth is a worthy woman, and they want more than just a marriage. And they want more than just the consummation of the thing. They want redemption. And for this, they must both resist the temptation of the moment and obey God's law and trust that God will provide. And in, by doing this, not only does he not get to enjoy the evening with her, but he's also risking that he might lose her and that she may marry another man. And Boaz, like Ruth and like Naomi, he acts in faith and trusts God with the outcome. That is a life of faith, wisdom, obedience, and then trusting God with the outcome of our lives. There's another story in the Old Testament that I think of, and it's in the book of Daniel. And it's the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, he's kind of a bad dude, and he demands that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three young Hebrew men, he demands that they bow to his false gods. And they refuse. They say, we will not bow to any God but the God of Israel. And the king threatens to throw them into the furnace. And he says, oh, you think you're God something? Who's going to save you from the flames? And their response is, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But listen to this. He says, they say, but even if not, even if we lose it all and burn up in the fire, even if not, Let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. 
This is a life of faith. They said, God has said that we are not to worship any other gods. And we will not do it, even if it costs us our lives. But we know that God can rescue us from a fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, we will not disobey his word. And this is the situation Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz are all in. They're going, this is what we want. We know that God's capable of delivering these things. But even if not, we're going to do this the right way. And we're going to obey God. And so this is, this is a call to you and me. We know what our God is capable of. We, and we ought to know his word and we ought to obey his word. And as we entrust our lives to him, we entrust that he will carry out his plan in our lives. And we entrust our even if not to his invisible, kind, and gracious hand. Naomi did this, Ruth did this, and now, now Boaz is doing this. And, I, and as we will see, when we, whose name is Jesse, and Jesse will have a son named David. And on and on and on we will go until we get to Joseph, the husband of Mary, the mother of Christ. See, God used the humble wisdom, obedience, and faith of these three people to bring his Savior into the world. You and I are here today because of the wisdom, obedience, and faith that those three people showed that evening. And their obedience brought about the Savior of the world who has saved us and redeemed us. And Jesus will go on to be an even better version of this. He will be fully wise. He won't be wise because he knows the Scriptures. He'll be wise because he is the author of them. And he'll be wise because he is the one in whom they point. And he will be, Philippians chapter 2 says that he will be obedient to the will of the Father, to the point of death, even death on a cross. And Jesus will entrust his life to his heavenly Father when he says, not my will, but yours be done, Father. And when he breathes his last breath, he says, uh, into your hands I commit my spirit. You see how God used Ruth's obedience and her wisdom and her faith to bring about Jesus, who ultimately by his wisdom and obedience and faith, God would use to bring about our salvation, our redemption, our forgiveness of sins. I think again about William Carey. He said, attempt great things for God and expect great things from him. Through William Carey, God launched the modern missionary movement. Ruth also teaches us that we can attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. And through Ruth, And Naomi and Boaz, God brought a marriage that would lead to the birth of a king and the coming of a savior. You can trust this God, you can attempt great things for this God, and you can expect great things from him. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this strange book sandwiched in the front of our Bibles. This story of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi and It's complicated and complex and sometimes it's confusing and doesn't make sense. But as we pull back the layers, we see that it it just reveals to us your faithfulness and your kindness. And so God, we pray that you would, that your invisible hand would lead us and guide us into the purposes you have for our lives. I pray that we would position ourselves through wisdom and obedience and faith. God, for you to use us in incredible ways right here in this city. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.